Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. It's just great to be, be here. I'm from Ontario and we still don't know if we're in a lockdown or not or whatever, but it's just good to be here in Alberta, the land of the free. And uh, it's a breath of fresh air, literally, because I haven't had to wear a mask, which is not a terrible thing if you got to wear one for whatever reason, but um, it's been refreshing. And uh, as, as uh, Pastor Joel just mentioned, I'm from Waterloo. I live there with my wife, Emma, and our three kids, Kensington, Theo, and Claire. I know that they wish that they could be with me, but my son sent me with Marshall, or not Marshall, rather Chase, his uh, little Paw Patrol guy. He said, Dad, take pictures with him wherever you go. I'll keep Marshall here. And so I've just been taking pictures everywhere. So if you saw me doing that, I'm not a crazy person. Um, but yes, um, pastors Dennis and Leslie, your pastors uh, are just so great. And the last time we talked, we talked about the the fact that, you know, they met at the campus ministry and started in student ministry. And now Emma, we're, we're pastoring. We started in student ministry in Waterloo. We now pastor an intergenerational church. But pastors Dennis and Leslie, they're, they're so great. And they set such a great example for those of us that are younger across Canada. And, um, you know, the truth is, over the last year and a half, um, there's been a bystander effect that takes place in churches always, but especially over the last year and a half, where we often forget that we just always assume that somebody else is encouraging the pastors. And I want to encourage you to be the person that says, I'm not just going to be a bystander expecting somebody else is doing that, but I'm going to stand with the pastors and make sure that I'm part of their encouragement. You know, if you want to be healthy, that's good. If you want to be healthy, you need to be a part of a healthy church. And to have a healthy church, you need healthy leaders. The best way for you to be healthy is to make sure that your leaders are encouraged through honest encouragement and allowing to make sure that they hear more positive things than they do negative things because uh, they wouldn't be around for 30 years. They planted it 30 years ago. They still wouldn't be here if they weren't healthy and dedicated and loved you guys. And so make sure my only homework I give to you guys is to send Pastors Dennis and Leslie a, a thank you, a heartfelt thank you in whatever way you can and let them know that you love them. Does that sound good? Come on, you're, not, you're already getting off to a bad start with that. All right, well, if you're taking notes, why don't you write down this title? And Joel, it's been awesome to get getting to know you. Joel's the best. <laughs> Pastor Joel and Jessica, um, really thankful for them and setting everything up and hanging out. And uh, man, you guys got something good going here. Thanks for having me. Um, if you're taking notes, I want you to take down this title. Quick reminder that uh, there's two lines when you get to heaven. One line is for note takers. The other one is for not note takers. And uh, it's a little bit like Disney World. You're in the fast lane if you took notes. And uh, so you got to write down this title. And if you're not familiar with the church, nothing I said is true. Except for St. Peter's not up there checking. I will be. And um, the title for today's message is Another in the Fire. Come on, can you turn to somebody and say, another in the fire? All right. I'm going to be speaking out of a, a somewhat familiar passage called, uh, it, it has to do with a, some guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Coolest names in the Bible. My kids disagree. They like Methuselah, the oldest person ever lived in the Bible. They're, they're obsessed with him. They're like, is that the guy that like never died? Or is that the guy that like, anyway, they love him. I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, I'm going to be speaking out of this. If you're not familiar, I'm going to color, color in the lines. I'm going to jump around a little bit as I read 
out of the scripture here. We're, we find ourselves in Daniel chapter 3, where the Israelites, the chosen people of God at the time, are, are in captivity to an empire called Babylon. And uh, there's an there's a emperor, there's a king. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. Some of us know him as a cucumber out of VeggieTales. Right? You know what I'm talking about. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're blessed. You didn't have to... You know, most of us in this church know most of, well, hopefully not most of what we know about the Bible. We learned it from a bunch of vegetables, and, uh, you know, they named it VeggieTales, and one of the main two hosts wasn't even a vegetable, I still have beef with that, but uh, we'll forgive Bob the tomato. And um, in this story that they tell, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's, an, he's a cucumber, and I think that's an awesome diss to a bad emperor. You're such a cucumber. And they're in, they're in captivity some of the Israelites have actually um, joined the ranks of leaders amongst the Babylonian leaders. And King Nebuchadnezzar decides his power is not, not large enough. He needs to erect an image that everybody's going to worship. So he erects this image, this gold image, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, in the plains of Dura. So it's, there's nothing else around, just this image, because that's what pride does. It levels everything around it, and it erects itself so everybody can just worship that thing. Be careful of pride. And he gets all the leaders from the, 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 the uh, emperor of Bab- uh, Babylon to come in. The veggies, they all come in. That's right. You, you understand. And um, they, come to wor- they come to get the, the announcement that, hey, when you hear music, you're going to bow down. And by the way, this is what the enemy continues to do today in our minds and in our societies. If you can impact just the leaders, you can impact communities. So, you know, the emperor doesn't just invite the whole empire of Babylon to come. He just gets the leaders of all the people to come because he knows if I can infiltrate them, I can infiltrate it all. Now, John Maxwell, one of the, you know, premier uh, leadership gurus of our time, whatever else, he explains this, that, that leadership titles are the lowest form of leadership, but influence is the highest form of leadership. And believe it or not, everybody in this room has influence over somebody, a child, a coworker, some, maybe even upwards towards a parent, whatever else it is, you have influence. I want to submit to you today, when the enemy's working, he's going to try to get your influence because whoever you're influencing, if he can get you, he can get the whole crowd. And so be aware of what the enemy's trying to get you to worship and taking your eyes off of Jesus because you're leading more people than you realize. So he has him come out and he says, hey, when you hear the noise, you're going to bow down. And of course, there's some that didn't and some of the Babylonian leaders can play a about the Jewish leaders that aren't doing this. And in Daniel chapter 3, verse 12, it says, um, uh, but there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the bunny that you have set up. You got to watch VeggieTales. I'm not, I'm not explaining that one. So he gets all upset, and he approaches him, and he says, is this true? You're not doing this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And they replied to him in verse 16, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If, you are, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, then the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Well, <laughs> The, the, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, he gets furious at this, and he, and he orders the furnace to be, um, to be heated up seven times hotter than what it was already heated up. Like, he's just, he's upset. Um, and, and, he, and he says to his soldiers, throw them in there. So they begin to throw them in, and it says that 
he takes the strongest soldiers and they begin to throw them in. But even as they get close to the flames, the strongest soldiers are burnt up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego eventually are thrown in. And King Nebuchadnezzar looks out and he leaps to his feet and he says, did I not only put three men in there? And they said, certainly, your majesty. But in verse 25, he says, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for who you are. And I thank you that we get to gather here today and look into your word and begin to understand what it means for us and the internal worlds that, I mean, we're sometimes hiding from the people around us. Our thoughts, uh, the way that we feel towards certain things, the, the things that are very much going on inside that sometimes nobody sees. God, I, I pray that you would inform that world today. Not just the world that we live in, that we can see and touch and feel, but the, the world that we live in, the world that is sometimes hidden from others, the world that we, we sometimes feel captive to. God, I pray that you would speak to our innermost being right now. pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I want to talk on fear today. And I want to talk, that, talk about the idea that there's another in the fire of our fear. You know, one of the scariest moments of my life came after I started dating my now wife, Emma. Emma had previously only dated football players, and uh, I was a hockey player, and so I needed to show her what was up. And uh, I made it sound like she dated all these football players. There was like one guy, <laughs> and, and I'm actually kind of friends with him now. But um, I still had to show him up, okay? And so I took her to this place called Gananoque in Ontario. Does anybody know where Gananoque is? Anybody at all? I'm so sorry. So sorry. So we played these guys, and they're, they're like rough and tumble, kind of like they're out in the boonies. They're like... I mean, I, anyway, that's all I'm going to say about them. And we show up, and I'm like, I'm like wanting to show my girlfriend, first time she's come to any of my hockey games, I'm like, I'm going to show her how tough I am. I'm going to show her that hockey players are stronger than football players. you got to understand, I was dating my wife at 17 years old. This is what goes on in a 17-year-old guy's mind. I'm going to show her how tough I am. So I line up, and I'm out there, and, and at the time, I was uh, racing competitively, uh, running race uh, competitively. And so I'm six feet tall, which I still am today, but I'm 130 pounds. So you can take 70 pounds off of this frame, which I, I don't know where you take it from, but that's what I weighed. And I wanted to show my then girlfriend how tough I am. So I line up and it's a particularly dicey part of the game. And this guy lines up beside me. He's a brute of a man. He's like, he's like seven and a half feet tall. He's like Joel Vardy's size. I'm like, He's like up there, and, and uh, he's like, hey, you want to fight? And I'm like, what? You know, like, he's like, you want to fight? I'm like, no. He's like, you want to fight? No. Before I know it, this guy, puck drops. He leans over, grabs my mask, rips it off my cage, and feeds me as I'm falling to the ice four times. And all I do is I cower in a turtle-like formation, and I just lie on the ground as this guy beats me up. And I just remember thinking, like, I wasn't, I wasn't in pain at that point. It was just my soul was in pain. You know, like, I'm so fearful. And I'm not fearful of him. I'm fearful what this is going to do to my girlfriend because I'm, like, bent on showing her that I'm tough. I can provide for you. I'm a man. And I'm just like, oh, I hope she's not here right now. And, and I asked her after the game, like, did you kind of see what happened? And she's like, no, of course not. And she's like, we're going to get a home security system when we get married, <laughs> you know? Most fearful time of my life. Now, now, like, listen, this is basic. A lot of us understand that fear is much deeper than this level, and it lives much deeper in our souls. It's not a funny memory. A lot of us, when we experience fear, is detrimental to not only 
our experience of life, but it becomes detrimental sometimes to our souls and detrimental to our minds and detrimental to our physical beings. Scientific studies will show what fear does to us when it lives in us too long. I want to talk on this idea that God wants to get in our inner world even while we're experiencing the world in front of us. I've struggled with mental health my whole life, and maybe you're in here and like, I don't, I don't even think mental health is a thing. Well, that's a starting place for us. But even if you don't think that, I would encourage you to analyze yourself when you're feeling those feelings. Something's off inside of you because I believe God has something to say to you. Something I struggled through my whole life. My wife is a therapist, so I often say I sleep with my therapist, and I don't get invited back to churches after I say that. But, um, so, you know, like, like we're, we're in this world all the time, and it's unique because we live in a university town, and university students, I don't know if you knew this, but, like, they're, they're very, very anxious a lot of the times. But I believe that when we come to Scripture, even passages like this, that God wants to speak to our innermost being, that God has something to say to the deepest parts of us that maybe we haven't revealed to other people, but it lives with us day in and day out because fear is familiar to us all. And the starting point of this, this, this story where, where there's an action that takes place and there's a threat of a looming something happening in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life, there's this internal thing that we sometimes breeze over like somehow it's just this like mechanical fictional story where of course they trusted God. But, but you gotta remember when we read scripture, like they're not reading their story back to themselves and like, oh, this is how we should act. We, they don't know the end of the story. They're there being threatened with being thrown into a fiery furnace. Everything is at stake for them in this moment. You can just imagine yourself in this moment. What do you do in the midst of fear and everything else? And, and what we learn through psychology is that fear is the foundation for so many of the things that people face. Fear is the foundation of depression most of the time. Fear is the foundation for stress and, and, and anxiety and worry and nervousness and, and often even sadness will, will be built off of this foundation of fear. And so the fear that we expect Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to have. My question I have for us today is, how in the world were they able to respond? Our God is able. And even if not, we will still trust in him over the king that is threatening us. I don't know about you, but I've lived in this past year where there's been threats from a whole bunch of different areas, haven't there? I mean, we're being continually threatened even today by a variant. And, and whether, however we feel about that thing, it's a threat. It's, it's at least threatening, maybe not even just for some of us, we don't think it's threatening our health, but it's threatening our well-being then. For some of us, we, we feel threats when we go on social media and we compare ourselves and, and there's a fear that we're not living up to the standards that we have somehow picked up from somewhere and, and they live with us and there's in, this impending doom. If we don't somehow figure this out, we, we constantly struggle with this ebb and flow of, of, a, of a threat into the future and how do we deal with this right now? And so I want to start with this story with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and being careful of the labels that we pick up along the way as we struggle through this earth and the impending threats that are standing in front of us that we be careful of the things that we proclaim over our lives. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are, these are fun names to say. I don't know about you, but like sometimes when I'm bored, I just say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> like walk into a store and I'm like, don't have my phone. And I'm like, I'm bored. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's kind of fun. Nobody else? Like, who, where did you find this guy? <laughs> like, this guy's <laughs> ridiculous. Of course I don't say that. 
But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is this trio that we've heard about if we've spent any time in church. We hear it repeated and repeated and repeated, and we don't even realize that that wasn't even their real names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had different names. Their names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But pick up on how interesting it is the different names that are placed on them versus their actual names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were names that were provided to them as they took on leadership in the empire of Babylon. They were names that were meant to reorient the way that they saw themselves. They came in with names that that honored the Hebrew God, but they were given names that made them fearful of the gods of the Babylonians. You see, when it comes to Shadrach, uh, Shadrach, his, his given name by the Babylonians meant command of Aku, which was one of the gods that the Babylonians served. Whereas his real name, which was in contrast to the very oppressive kind of language that came out of the name of Shadrach, under the command of Aku, his real name, Hananiah, meant God is gracious. A precursor, a foretelling of Jesus to come, which is that we don't live up to the God that we serve, but he still pays the price for us time and time again, and that we can lean into that whenever we want, and, and, and we can lean into that for the hope of our salvation. We wanted to strip them away from the reality that God does provide for us even when we don't deserve it. God is gracious. Meshach, which meant who is Aku is, it's a, it's a riddle. <laughs> It's like, I don't know. <laughs> Who is as Aku is? <laughs> it's kind of spooky, you know? They give him this name to replace the name Michelle. Because who is as Aku is speaks to the confusion that we all face and that they would have faced during this time. But Michelle meant who is like our God. It's very clear. That pierces through the darkness. That pierces through the confusion. When we feel like all hope is lost, when Mishael would know that everything was lost, he would lean into Mishael, not, 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 not Meshach, to remind himself that in the confusion of the Babylonian empire that he lived, that who is like our God, powerful and able to protect me in the midst of this great darkness. Abednego meant servant of the god Nebo. We our primary response to Nebo is we serve him. Whereas his real name was Azaria, contrasted with the meaning that God has helped. Because you know that Christianity is the only religion in the entire world. And by the way, the only religions we're studying in the entire world are ancient world religions. Because if it's not ancient world religions and we don't know where the beginning of it was, we know where the beginning of it is and we know therefore somebody made it up. <laughs> Every ancient world religion proclaims that you need to do something to be accepted by the deity. Whereas Christianity is the only single ancient world religion that says, no, you do not live up to the price that the deity needs. In fact, the deity came down to pay a price for you, to set you free, and your God has helped you in the midst of your crisis. So we need to be careful, as these men would have been, because they didn't want to lose their identity in the midst of something being asked from them that they knew was against what God would have them do. We've got to be careful the words that we speak over ourselves because they mean something to us. All of a sudden, we get an identity from the things that have been spoken of us. Now, I got a mental health diagnosis later on in my life that all of a sudden I could take that on and, and, and kind of live out of it. And this could now be my identity and now I can live and whatever else. And I would caution you to make sure that you don't take on the identity of the label you've been given. For some of us, we have an anxiety disorder. 
For some of us, we've been labeled with depression. For some of us, we have bipolar disorder. For some of us, it goes even beyond those things. And some of us, we're just stressed out individuals and we've been told that by our spouses. I would caution you to make sure that you do not take on the labels that the world gives you as something to live from, but to realize that that is the struggle that you are a part of, that is the fire that you are fighting, that is the furnace that is before you, but your God is stronger and able to give you more of an identity than any label ever could. Because it is easy to say, I am depression, I am stress, I am anxiety, and we need to remind ourselves that you are not those things, that is something you struggle with, but there is a greater identity in you, and Jesus calls you a child of God. Come on, is that good news to us today? Be careful, because we label ourselves with such heavy things. Be careful the words we say, even especially around young children. Anxiety, like we've gone so far in this mental health conversation where now all of us think we're anxious. The truth is, in a society that's been wired the way that we are today, there's a lot of reasons for anxiety, and anxiety is on the rise, and the pandemic only exposed that all the more. But anxiety is like the far end of a spectrum that starts with things like nervousness and worry and fear. I've had to train my mind as somebody who's prone to anxiety to remind myself, I'm not anxious right now. I'm stressed out. Be careful because the last thing we need our kids to grow up with is not just having an awareness of mental health, which is really good, but is claiming things over their life before they even get a diagnosis that I'm anxious. Well, meanwhile, they're struggling with a very real human experience of just being stressed out or fearful or nervous or frustrated. But our brains have a hard time because our body reacts to all of these things in very similar ways. But anxiousness is a perpetual worry that we have a hard time getting rid of. Whereas these other things are things that happen in the moment that we can identify and with more information we can get rid of. Be careful the words that we speak over ourselves because they are not our identity. They are the things that we are fighting against. I feel like I should like insert some funny story here to keep everything like... So there was this one time, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to keep going at a time's sake. We continue on into Daniel chapter 3, 16 to 18. And in 16 to 18, as we read earlier, King Nebuchadnezzar is like, hey, you guys really going to do this? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, yeah, we're going to go through with this because our God is able. And even if he does not, we're still going to serve him. So I wonder for those of us today, if we're really willing to realize and, and understand about ourselves that we actually, when we're, when we're under fire and we're under siege and our minds are under siege or maybe we're just in a situation, uh, there's a pending uh, 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 event that's in the future that we're not sure, it's murky, it's whatever, but it's causing fear in us. I wonder if we were, were able to remind ourselves that the world is watching us, not when we're going through good things, but they're watching us when they, we go through bad things. See, when we're under fire, we're under review by the world that we live in. And this is vitally important to understand because nobody's celebrating or nobody that's outside the church or outside of faith is like really congratulating us when things are going great. What I mean by this is that, you know, we've had three children, Kensington, Theodore, and Claire. And, um, you know, I'll ask my youngest, uh, Claire, is your name Claire or is it Claire Bear? And she's like, Claire Bear. If you call her Claire, she's going to correct you. So she's Claire Bear. And I remember each and every single one of these children, they're born and we're in the hospital and you do the Instagram thing and you're holding this little baby and you're like, I have no clue what I'm doing. It's so awesome. Like best day of my life, you know, and like, please don't send me out of here. But like everybody's getting the excitement and the things that are going great and everything else. 
The truth is, is that the world that does not understand faith is not impressed by that. Look, we know how to get excited when children are born, and it's a health, if it's a healthy pregnancy to get excited in the hospital, we know how to do that. We know how to celebrate when we get promotions. The world goes, we know how to celebrate when I win awards. We know how to celebrate when these things happen. But you know what the world is looking for out of the church? What does she do when she's going through a struggle? What does the church do when they're going through a pandemic? What does my, my Christian coworker look like when there's looming, uh, uh, there's, there's um, uh, you know, uh, things being tossed around that there might be a restructuring happening? That's when the world wants to know what are Christians really made of and what does their God have to say about those situations? Because the world knows how to celebrate. The world knows how to stand at the end of the end zone and celebrate the wins of their lives. But the world does not know, does not know what to do when things come crashing all around them. And I want to submit to you today that it's us as Christians that we need to better exemplify what it looks like to live with a lot of the stuff that's going on in our world today. You see, I really believe that God can do more with our pain than he can our promotion. Each of these Jewish people had been given a promotion by, Emperor, uh, by, by King Nebuchadnezzar, but we don't really, that's not what we take out of this story, is it? Because nobody cares. But all of a sudden, the people that were given a promotion are facing pain, and all of a sudden, we have a story that we look to for years and years and years to come, analyzing it, wondering what's going on there, because it spoke to the people, the other leaders, the Babylonian leaders that detested the Jewish people. They detested what they stood for. They detested the God that they served. That's when they wanted to know, what is going to happen to these guys when we bring this up to King Nebuchadnezzar? And the response is, God is able. Do you believe that God is able? Do you believe that God is able to turn that situation around in your life? Do you believe that God is able to stand with you no matter how long the trial lasts? Do you believe that God is able to be with you when all hell is breaking loose? Do you believe that God is able? Because we're living in a world that needs a bunch of Christians to stand up and say, our God is able. In the midst of everything going on, in the midst of my own struggles mentally and what's going on inside of me, my God is able. And you know what they need? They need, a, 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 they need Christians that go beyond that and say, even if. <laughs> Come on, if you have an even if attached to your faith, it is the strongest, it is the strongest example of why something in you is deeper because they can take stances for long enough. The world can take a stance in a trial for long enough, but then it begins to cripple. But if you haven't even, even if attached to your faith, that's where people start to see the power of our God at work inside of you. We need to have some conviction as we stand in the fire. You know, even in our pain, we have a responsibility. This isn't putting the blame back on victims. I, no, 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 no. Luke 8. 43 to 48, says, now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years, and though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. But she still took the responsibility in her pain to come up behind Jesus, touch the fringe of his clothes, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Even in the midst of our pain, we have a responsibility to be a witness to the power of Jesus Christ in the midst of the storm and the furnace that we find in our lives. Now, one final thing that I want to note, and I'm going to jump really quickly to then my message, but we need to understand when it comes to mental health that it's not a competition, but there's always a comparison. And what do I mean by this? We see that King Nebuchadnezzar, it says that he had the, he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual. 
and commanded some of the strongest soldiers to throw them in. I've witnessed, and unfortunately, even in the church, sometimes when it comes to our struggles of mental health, it's like we have this comparison game. No, what I struggle with is it's different. What I struggle with, it's, uh, you don't understand me. It's, it's, we get this seven times hotter kind of mentality to us. No, yours is hot, but no, my pain is hotter. You think it's, but no, mine's seven times hotter. You know, the Bible says, listen, if it's seven times hotter or if it's whatever, God can move in your situation. Well, the Bible doesn't really speak to this thing, so I must need to live with this for the rest of my life. It doesn't, there's nothing about bipolarism in the, in, so no, God couldn't, like, I, like God could never really touch that. Oh yeah? There was nothing that these men had to, to, to give them comfort that God had ever saved anybody from a fire before. There was no example for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of people being thrown into fire, God saving them, and going like, well, he did it there, so he can do it again. No example of this happening before. But you know what they did have? Not just contexts that were exactly the same as theirs, but principles of God's character that he had exhibited in previous history. God parted the Red Seas. He brought Joseph out of the prison. He allowed them to cross on dry ground through the Jordan River. The walls of Jericho fell. And if he can do that in all those situations, certainly he can save us from this fire. Certainly God can speak to my anxiety. He can speak to my stress. He can speak to this condition because if it's a fight, it's a, word, it's a fight worth God winning. And here's the thing. I know this firsthand because when I was 12 years old after about six years of dealing with what I now know as anxiety, I started dealing at 12, 13 years old with something that just expanded out of control. All of a sudden, it wasn't just I was anxious when my parents left the house, but I was making deals with the devil in my head. I would go to bed at night and weird thoughts would come into my mind and it would say, hey, if you don't do this, then this is going to happen. If you don't reach 40 chapters of the Bible tonight, this is going to happen. The most reoccurring thought I had was that in my sleep, without my own ability to choose, it was just going to be me sleepwalking. I was going to go to the kitchen. I was going to grab a sharp object. I was going to come back to my room. And that would be it for my brother that shared a room with me. I'm being sensitive to some of the younger crowd. But you can just imagine the graphic images. That are, and if you don't read those 40 chapters, then this is going to happen, deal or no deal. And so in my little 12-year-old mind, I go, no deal, no deal, no deal, no deal, no deal, no deal. But we know that if you think about something long enough, you eventually, something trips and it goes, deal. And I go, oh my gosh. And, and I would open up my Bible and I'd be there and I'd be crying and weeping and my brother's sleeping and I've got a nightlight out and my parents didn't know why I wanted. I wasn't scared of the dark. I was scared what would happen after dark if I fell asleep before 40 chapters were read. And I'm reading and I'm reading and it's great for like preparation to be a pastor, but terrible as a 12-year-old. And I'm reading and then all of a sudden I'd be doing something else in my day. Do this or this is going to happen. Deal or no deal. I'd be sitting on my hockey bench as a young kid and I'd be looking into the crowd and all of a sudden, terrible things were happening in my mind, very graphic things to my mother and my sister. And I couldn't, I couldn't get it out of my mind. I'm freaking out. And it was four times after the coach had to tell me, get out on the ice that I'd break away from it. And I'd finally get out there and this would happen day after day after day. After day, I would take everything out of my room once a week and I'd polish it and I would clean it and just so that things wouldn't happen to the people that I love most. And this happened for two years. And listen, my family wasn't educated enough to know maybe we got to get some help. They probably didn't even know what was happening. In fact, I know from talking to them in hindsight, they didn't. 
a licensed therapist. It's the first one that's going to tell you therapy is such a great thing. It's going to be the first one that tells you if you need that medication to help you resume to normal and get you, to, but, but the goal is healing, right? Then, then you need to take that. But what do you do when you don't have any of that? As a 12-year-old boy, I'm doing this every single night, and I, I'm anxious, and as I get older, I begin to realize, through talking to my own therapist, and that I grew up with OCD, and not just the kind of, oh, I'm kind of OCD, you know? <laughs> I'm OCD. No, like the stuff that paralyzes you from having a normal existence as a child growing up. But I can tell you, two years, what happened when I was 14, and all of a sudden, was set, my dad, I would call out, Dad, Dad. He'd rush in the room, what is it, buddy? I'd say, Dad, I'm thinking you and Mom are going to die. He'd put his big mitt on my little head. He'd say, Son, you are not alone. Son, you are not alone. Son, it's not just because I'm in the next room over. Your heavenly father is with you while you sleep. God, protect this little mind. Two years, every single night, my dad would come into my room, pray this prayer. I'm 14, and it stops. Praise God. Praise God. I still remember on my 16th birthday, because one of these deals, my dad told me, don't do this, don't do this, son. I'll show you that it's not real. 14 years old, I said, fine, I'm not going to do it not going to do this deal. The deal was that if I didn't do something by my 16th birthday, my parents were going to pass away. I still remember my 16th birthday. I didn't care about getting my driver's license. I bawled my eyes out at midnight because my parents were still there. It's hell on earth. People ask me all the time, can Jesus still do miracles? I believe he's still a miracle working God. In our society today, well, where's the broken bones that are healed? Where are the dead? I'm telling you, it's happening all over the world right now. But we're so smart as a society, we can go to the hospital and get that fixed. We really have a low need for God to do miracles in our society. Because where God has provided in other ways, like smart doctors and good medication and casts and all the rest, in places where they don't have any of that, God's doing miracles. You know, there is one thing still in our society I can tell that we have not figured out. And I think you know what this is. It's mental health. No matter what we put together, we can't figure this thing out pandemic has really revealed a soft spot in Western civilization that we cannot calm the inner struggle inside of us. And yet that's where I proclaim to you and I proclaim it over our church that God is in the business of doing miracles. And right now he is in the business of doing miracles in our minds. And I want to proclaim that over to anybody right now that is going, can I be healed from this? The answer is yes. So I'm going to pray in a moment for all of us with that struggle. 24 years old, first baby. Since 14, I haven't experienced anything. 10 years later, to the, to the month. Older my little baby, a couple of sleepless months. A voice comes into my head. See this little baby? This is going to happen. Deal or no deal. I haven't experienced this voice for 10 years. Because when you have injuries, even physical ones, they'll come up every once in a while. Deal or no deal. And all of a sudden, I'm holding my baby. I'm so excited. I'm a new dad. Deal or no deal. No deal, no deal, no deal. Please, God, not this again. All of a sudden, something broke in me. I went, no. 
I know how to win this battle. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew God can move. He is able. When we find ourselves in that furnace, we got to remind ourselves that he's willing to stand with us in the fire. We're not alone. There's another in the fire with us. And so I'm saying, no deal, no deal. And it's happening. And I'm realizing, and God's speaking to my spirit. And I start going, no, this is not how this is going anymore. And for some of us, we need to stand up and say to the enemy, you're not ravaging my mind anymore. You're not ravaging my spirit. You're not ravaging the minds of my kids, my parents, this person. I'm praying for miracles of the mind. Come on, every head bowed in this place. If you're going, this is I need it. I need God to move in my life. I need to move. I can't handle it. No, no, no. I need you, God. I need another in my fire. If that's you, you just raise a hand with every head bowed and eye closed. I want to pray for you today. My hand's up, obviously. Man, hands up all over this place. You don't have to, I'd be nervous if this is you. Like, yeah, I'm telling you, you're in the fight with like 50% of the people in this room. Jesus, with every hand that's raised. It wasn't a conference. It wasn't a service. It wasn't some hyped up speaker that came and helped me get set free from what was going on inside. It was quiet moments in my room where my dad reminded me that I'm not alone and your presence is always with me. So God, I pray that even if we go home from here tonight and that voice is still going on in our heads that I'm always gonna be depressed. I'm always gonna be this, do this or that. Whatever that voice, God, I pray right now that you'd remind us that your presence goes with us that you're willing to step in the fire with us and that true healing comes from you. God, I'm praying for miracles of the mind in this place right now. Be with us as we go from this place, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.